Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. You know the old story of the researcher looking for their lost keys under the streetlight when they actually lost them in the dark alley. Why aren't you bringing the light into the alley? Well, because the light's already here in the street. Okay, that's not necessarily a fair story. The researcher might not know that they've lost their keys. People with lived experience certainly know that the keys are lost. And sometimes they can ask the questions to help find them. They ask questions to use the answers to make decisions with their clinician partners about their health and treatment. I often shake my head in wonder when I listen to scientists and funders who stubbornly lack awareness of the value of patient-caregiver partnership in all phases of research and clinical trials. Lynn Becker, a clinical trials research expert, knows the value inside out as a research scientist and a mother of a daughter with traumatic brain injury, TBI. I asked Lynn to introduce herself. Hi, I am Lynn Becker. I am the CEO and founder of Power of Patients. I come from the clinical trial world. Over the last 25 years, as a biostatistician and epidemiologist, I managed and designed all sorts of clinical trials. And I decided to launch this company specifically to help people with brain injuries and reshape the course of clinical trials in this space. Okay. So reshape because... Reshape implies that you are less than delighted with how it was before, and you like you wanted it to take a different direction. Yeah, that's a very smart way to say it. My goal is to really be able to characterize the TBI population because it is very uncharacterized, and because of that, it's misunderstood. And the simple example is no two brain injuries mirror one another and not even in the same person. And typically what happens in clinical trials is you first really take the time to slice and dice and understand the population and what is happening to them before you start designing trials. That does not seem to be the case when I pulled all sorts of research papers in clinical trials. They were just creating clinical trials based upon devices that were coming up or repurposing drugs that were currently being used in one area, and they thought it may have some kind of indication in the brain injury space. But it's a very heterogeneic population, and therefore we have to really start at the basics and really understand 
what the symptoms are, what the makeup is, something other than your very traditional demographics of age and gender and things like that. So then ultimately reshape from the patient's perspective how the clinical trials are going to be designed so it addresses their symptoms and triggers and things like that. Okay, so to me, things that appear to be individually unique Mm -hmm. are often more individually unique than some people think, or maybe it's differently individually. Nah, what I'm trying to say is, do you find that even though when you know one TBI, a traumatic brain injury person one, but there are, you can categorize somehow based on function or cognition or whatever. So what are those kinds of things that you have found that you can group people? Mm-hmm. There, There is some high-level groupings that currently do exist to exactly to what you're saying. You have cognitive impairments, you have physical impairments, you have balance issues, you have okay. sight issues, emotional, okay. right? Yeah. So those high-level things exist right. currently. Yes. The problem is, if you take it, and let's talk about two very specific kinds of injuries. Let's talk about a closed head injury versus an open head injury, right? Someone that doesn't have an open gaping wound and somebody who does. You can often visually see that open gaping wound even after their hair grows over and things like that. There are very clear differences of that person's emotional problems versus the person with a closed head injury. The closed head injury people may or may not, this is part of the problem, get better or it may worsen with certain other triggers. Mm -hmm. And these are like the hidden symptomology or the hidden triggers that all of a sudden is like an onion, a new thing just blew up. And what was it that caused it to blow up? Mm But people that have um, really acute conditions that are typically a very open head wound or even a neck injury that's very clear to to be seen, you're able to give them really good acute care in the very beginning. But once they get past that acute stage, they themselves seem to be mirroring what a mild case or somebody with a closed head injury is now experiencing too. Those are some of the challenges. So even though we say, okay, you have emotional issues or okay, you have cognitive issues, you still are unable to drill down to the real essence of it without understanding triggers that cause them to get worse and even what gets them better. Because that's what we also want to know can get them better. Some people don't know, myself included, didn't know that my daughter had a vision impairment. And so it wasn't until just a lot of digging and a lot of research was I able to figure out, okay, this doesn't make sense. She should go and get this checked. At least Mm -hmm. take it off your list and make sure that you've addressed it that way. So your brain is amazing because it's going to figure out a way around it. And and if you think of a sprained ankle, you're going to limp for a little while. If you have a brain injury, you're going to be sleeping for 
maybe a long while. You just don't know. Your brain's going to shut your body down. But with a sprained ankle, your body is going to figure out how can I walk without rehabbing it. And you can use that very simple analogy even in your brain. If you don't get the right rehab therapy, your brain is going to figure out a way to compensate or to work around this deficit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are you, what change are you trying to affect with power of patients? I am trying to change how clinical trials are designed. Typically, if you have a clinical trial designed, they stay at this very high level grouping, just like we discussed, Mm -hmm. but they don't dig down into the true etiologies of these symptoms. And when does it flare up in a certain person? You, if you have a TBI, you might walk outside and if a bus goes flying by or a siren, it might send you into a panic attack. Somebody else can handle that. We just don't know. Or maybe they go to a mall and they flip out like they have to immediately go home. That's the minuscule issues that have to really be well understood. And they're not right. They stay right now. Research and clinical trials and our knowledge stays at this very high level instead of drilling all the way down to the nuances amongst each individual. If we're able to really find enough people in these nuance categories then we'll have enough people for clinical trials so that we can really design them specific to the idiosyncrasies of what they present with. So it sounds to me that there's two parts of this. There's what are the questions that research is answering? And then there's how the trial is designed so that it can answer the questions with some specificity to, that they're useful answers. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it for sure. Definitely on the second half, simply because what are the questions that they need to answer specifically? Okay, so then the key to that is they. And what I find in my experience is that they is usually the researcher or the clinician. Yes. And it's not that often the the person with whatever or the people who are part of their caring network. And those kinds of questions can sometimes be wildly disparate. Yes. Yes. I think you just said it pre- perfectly because what they think is happening, they being the clinicians and the researchers, and I'm speaking from experience because mm-hmm. I, co- I come as a researcher and a clinician, mm-hmm. what I thought was or wasn't happening to my own daughter mm-hmm. was completely off base. Like she looked so normal. Mm-hmm. I could not figure out for the life of me why either behaviors were happening mm-hmm. or she was just not able to function. Mm-hmm. Like what what was going on and right so that's the supposition that is incorrect we think we know yeah but until you live the life of the actual person or the caregiver yeah that's what you need to hear okay so did you design i i looked at your tbi dashboard which you can tell us about in a minute but did you design that because even if you are asking relevant questions, 
to patients and caregivers. The, the data that's available in electronic health records and claims data, which is often the source of much data that's being used in clinical trials, is insufficient. And that patient and caregiver recorded data may be more relevant. So yes. is that's a back backing into your dashboard? Yeah. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about your dashboard. Yeah. So first, your observation about the EMR, the electronic medical record systems, is mm -hmm. correct. It again, it comes from this what they think yeah. is going on perspective. And uh, to give a little backstory. For your listeners, the EMR record systems are populated because of ICD codes that exist after years and years of rigorous research in a certain indication, and the codes are there. Mm -hmm. One of the problems, and there's several, but one of the problems with the ICD code system to be able to identify patients for clinical trials in TBIs is that there aren't enough ICD codes to put them in the bucket, right? So they end up going over into a completely different category because that's the only category they can find to match their ailment when the real issue is TBI. So maybe you have cognitive problems, but the cognitive problem is a result of the TBI. So ICD codes are building, but they're not anywhere near where they should be. We should talk about ICD codes for a minute. That's the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, ICD. It's a medical classification list by the World Health Organization. It contains codes for diseases, signs and symptoms, abnormal findings, complaints, social circumstances, and external causes of injuries or disease. ICD codes are the child of billing and clinical information, sort of a zebroid. Every clinical encounter needs an ICD code, now in version 10, to bill. As the ICD system evolved over the years, more and more codes have been added. There are over 70,000 ICD-10 procedure codes and over 69,000 ICD-10 diagnosis codes compared with about 3,800 procedure codes and roughly 14,000 diagnosis codes found in the previous ICD-9. There are no ICD codes for hungry because you can't afford food or down and out or just plain scared. ICD codes represent a point in time, a snapshot, not a life. Assigning codes is a billion dollar industry. Let's jump back in. One of the things that also happens is you might go to your doctor every two months or every three months, right? Once a year. That is a snapshot in time. Right. That is not the real-time yes. course of events of what that person is going through. So my dashboard tracks real-time data for the person. 
so that they can actually see, okay, I had a spike really high in my anxiety and we ask them specific questions to help them figure out what caused the spike. Think of Mad Libs. So they can fill it all out and then they get this report and they can bring the report, this timeline, a trend analysis, if you will, to their doctor. And so this is what's happening. Yeah, that this whatever chronic thing, whether it's chronic pain or multiple sclerosis like I have or TBI or whatever, this journaling and finding patterns and and then this the end of one experimenting is yeah, it's such a challenge. But it's true personalized care. Yes. And it yes. empowers the patient. And that's huge because yes. the patient no longer has recall bias. They can do this on the fly and they can right. say, no, doctor, this is what happened. Okay, that's so the powerfulness of it. It is powerful, but the, the challenge of it is that really think this real-time journaling, whatever you want to call it, and and having it in a a searchable and manageable and analyzable, that's a word, form is really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I, I find the challenge with that is that the analysis of it is also a team process Mm -hmm. that for the most part clinicians depending on their specialty will see certain patterns the caregiver may see others Mm -hmm. and it's really a combination of all those perspectives so it seems like so you've been talking about asking the important questions, designing, selecting data, designing research and analysis. And so this is something that I'm sure you've built over years. This is not something that you birthed whole. Um, (laughs) So I work pretty fast. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. And and having your experience, it, right. it makes that possible. But I, I imagine that now you just correct me if I'm wrong, because I really don't know you. And I'm making all sorts of suppositions that feel free to blow up my suppositions. Okay. But that you started out because somebody or some people in your family had this challenge and you wanted things to be different and you had the knowledge and experience and energy to move forward. But moving forward, I don't know, all those things in a buck and a quarter will buy you a Pepsi as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) That it takes coalitions and infrastructure, and there's just a whole sort of like a business part of moving this forward. So can you tell us a little bit about that evolution? Sure. Yeah, of course. And listen, if it were as easy as you just described it, oh my goodness gracious, that would be a miracle in and of itself. Very. Yeah. No. So it, it has been birthed over, let's say five years. Okay. And my daughter was injured in 2015. 
okay. with a severe traumatic brain injury. And a few days after her injury, like her optic nerve was torn when she got hit and things like uh. that. But, oh, and it, Murphy's Law of everything that was going to go wrong in the healthcare environment and mm -hmm. her school, it all went wrong because she mm -hmm. was away at school. So a few days even after her injury, she stroked on top oh. of it. And so what's even more insulting, the school and the hospital was a part of the CDC heads up program. It gets crazier. The electronic medical record system went down. They took her to an urgent care, not to the children's hospital. It was one thing after another, like I said. So that's a whole nother mm -hmm. two or three podcasts. But because I believe in clinical trial research, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I believe in what we do. But I also believe in making sure people are treated fairly and wholly as well. But we were in Charleston, South Carolina, where we used to live. And I was taking her to what I thought were the best of the best doctors that I knew down there. And they all just kept saying, just a concussion. She just needs a rest. And I would look at her eye and I would point it out to them and I'd say, but her eye is messed up. Like you could just see it. It's right there. You don't have to do some special exam. It's not working. And just rest. We think her vision will come back. And I'm like, you think? So I'm going to also add a little bit of, put a little salt on my wound here. Mm -hmm. We had 111 inches of that historic rainfall hit our home when she was having this very acute case happen. And then subsequently, we had three hurricanes hit our house as well. So I'm dealing with a child who can't be moved. She's just, and couldn't see. And it was like panic attacks and mm -hmm. never woke up. Like this child was Rip Van Winkle, if you will. But I just kept listening to them. And I drank the Kool-Aid, as I tell everybody. And, but it was getting frustrating because I kept hearing that same broken record. She just needs to sleep. Well, I'm like, okay, how long? It's been two months now. And mm -hmm. she's now she's passing out. She's sitting up in bed and she's passing out. Like, how do you explain that? And they're like, she has to start exercising. So we take her to a teeny little exercise class. And in less than two minutes, she's on the floor because she passed out. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Mm -hmm. So now I start asking these questions and I start asking them pretty vigorously and I start pulling research and I'm finding nothing, nothing of any relevance in any current, like maybe in the seventies mm -hmm. I was finding research papers and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not looking correctly. I always kept saying, maybe it's me. So keep fast forwarding and she's starting to stay a little wake a little longer and things like that, but nothing from where she was. She had to be removed from school and I had a homeschooler and I'm thinking, how do I teach somebody like this? And her academic status went from 98 percentile to 37. And I'm like, this is mentally challenged. Yes. How do I teach her? And she couldn't stay awake and she would be having little panic attacks, which became really exasperated under even just trying to honestly memorize the Pledge of Allegiance, like something simple like that, that we all know. So then she can't walk and she couldn't remember how to crawl. She couldn't remember how to run. We still are now a year and a half into it. And I'm now going to another neurologist mm -hmm. thinking who can help me. And it wasn't until one doctor said to me, you're just here because of the movie. 
Now, at this point, I'm bringing with me binders. And the movie he's referencing is Concussion. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm here because my daughter is, is, I don't know what she is, and I need help. I couldn't even explain it. I couldn't explain. She couldn't explain it. And he didn't even look at her charts. And I thought, how dare you? So I'm quickly losing my faith in mm-hmm. the profession I work in. So I write a letter. I, get, I was given two names to a couple of doctors, one in New York and one in Philadelphia. And I write a letter to them because they had presented at a concussion conference. And so didn't hear back for a little while. And in the meantime, I had started hiring radiologists, thinking something's missed here. Okay, what is going on? How can we maybe reread their films? And five, six radiologists is what it took. And when I finally got to the sixth one, the doctor said, I don't know who's telling you this is normal, but your daughter has severe spots all over her brain, right? And your your heart stops Mm -hmm. because the whole time you're being told she's, fine. It's just a concussion. Take a chill pill, mom. Mm-hmm. And when your gut, there's something mm-hmm. wrong. And at this yeah. point I'm carrying binders because I started tracking her yeah. so I could explain stuff. And they really were very disinterested to be honest with you. So then the two doctors contacted me that I wrote emails to. And the first in New York put it out there just like, boom, what you're telling me is not a concussion, it's a traumatic brain injury. And then it's, oh my God, number two, what do you mean? And he then goes on to explain how she really can be managed better. And this is not the treatment that she should be getting. And I said, can I come see you? And he's, I need you to see a neurologist first. This was an, a neuroendocrinologist. And then I got up to chops to the other neurologist mm-hmm. that I wrote the email to. And she immediately said, come up, we can help. And it really was the first time Witnessing a two and a half hour intake, but it was the first time that I felt, as did my daughter, that, oh my God, there's hope. Like yeah. now you can wow. get the right therapies. Mm-hmm. So that's a year and a half in okay. before anything happened. Then it was a matter of finding all the kinds of doctors yeah. at our home to take care of her. Hey. So this was the basis of how I started building the dashboard. Okay. Because I had to keep communicating. Yes. to all of these therapists and doctors and rehab specialists, what was going on with her. And you got to get those binders down to a page. Exactly. Yes, exactly. yes, I, I get that totally. But they so, all loved so, it. I will say this, they all wanted yeah. these copies. So that was good. Now a word about our sponsor, a bridge. Use a bridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. Yeah. Okay. So I guess what I'm um, interested in this minute is that 
you've made an organization, an advocacy organization. You went from being the mom of somebody who was struggling to deal with whatever she was dealing with to thinking about the larger community of people with TBI. Yes. And you got this really cool logo. Like that's a business thing to do. So how have you built that, that outwardly facing business of power of patience? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Give the impression that I am just an advocacy group on my website to empower and educate people and their caregivers. Yeah, but, but you don't know, But it's much me. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah clearly. No, I, when I did that initially because I didn't have my dashboard live, and I also had not been able yet to figure out how do I now take this very valuable dashboard and right. monetize it? Right. Yes. Because, and how do I do it so that I can keep it alive and support yes. myself? I did think I was the only one going through this craziness when we kept going from doctor to doctor until I realized there are tens of millions of people. Right. I'm not an anomaly. And right. that was the other. Isn't that a great moment? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was the yeah, other yeah. tipping cool. point for me because I'm like, this is crap. There's no research going on and it's your brain. It's what runs your whole body. So in order to get, honestly, SEO status, nobody was in the TBI advocacy space. And that's how I ended up getting my page one rankings because I did all the research behind the scenes is how can I be found? Because who am I? Nobody's going to know who I am. So once I did that and then I started creating all the blogs, so working off of my clinical trial research experience where I would mm-hmm. do patient recruitment and education, right. mm-hmm. I started taking that and I started putting it out there socially through Facebook blogs, yeah. through reaching out to different brain injury groups, mm-hmm. um, talking to people that would listen. And so we started honestly at zero and I have self-funded the whole thing at this point, but we started at zero in July and Then we started with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And again, I was Mm -hmm. no digital media expert, Mm -hmm. but now our followers, we do everything privately on our dashboard, but we let people like and follow us. Mm -hmm. So our followers are a little over a thousand across the platforms. And this is only since like July 5th, when we really started. Of 2020? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I, I just started the company last year. Oh and my so, God, you could have fooled me. Yeah, no. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, it looks it looks more mature than that. I know that's not you. the right way to say it. No, but, thank but you. you know what I, I, mean. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I took the first six, seven, eight months mm-hmm. building it, testing it, building mm-hmm. the dashboard, because I've done this for my career. So I Yeah, yeah. Oh. I knew how to do that. Okay. Uh, working working off of my experience as a caregiver. Yeah. And then working off of my experience when I managed the TBI portal for the U.S. government and the soldiers, that was how I started to reshape what I was doing. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait. Back up. What, what's with the soldiers? Say what, what? I missed that. Oh, yeah. When my daughter was injured, I got fired from my job at the university because I had to be her full-time caregiver. So right. yeah. they would not allow me to work remotely and things like that. Mm-hmm. So then I had to 
eventually figure out how am I going to support us and find a job. And right. I ended up going to work for the Department of Defense in a subcontract position. Okay. And I was one of the team where we built these massive data warehouses for the Defense Health Agency, which is DOD. And then I ultimately was recruited to redesign the VA system. And then I was brought over to manage the traumatic brain injury portal for the special ops teams for the government. Wow. And yeah. Wow. What an opportunity. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. That's I have great. to tell you, I saw the mappings of the, of the soldier yeah. and I saw this and I thought, this is my daughter. Like who is mapping this, this person? Because this is my daughter. I need to find this person. That was like my motivation. It was very mm-hmm. selfish. I wanted yeah. this doctor to treat my daughter. Yeah. And uh, fortunately I got there and I started working with the whole project. And I even found therapies for my daughter that work really well and were not being told to me to use for her. One of it being QEEG, which is biofeedback. Now, in our- Say that again, because I didn't get it. QEEG. It's a biofeedback therapy. How, so now you're doing this power of patience thing. How do you recognize success? What's going to what's going to be happening that you feel like you hit a home run? Man, that's a great question. Can I answer it in two parts? Oh, three. Sure. Okay. Four. Maybe three. Because my mission mm-hmm. is to empower patients with TBI and their caregivers. Yeah. Success is when I get an email like today from a patient who attended our webinar Loved our the demonstration of the dashboard. She's from St. Jude's uh, Hospital, and she herself is a survivor. And she now set up an appointment with the vision therapy doctor because she knew she had vision problems, but her neurologist kept saying, "No, you don't. You're fine. You're fine." Yeah. And she had the and we do it virtually. So we one of the series of webinars that we produce is to show people how you can actually do your therapy and your intake virtually. So that's a success. Okay. So this is a success, which Mm -hmm. is the success of one person who took a one step on a solid path. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, And other successes around that whole patient empowerment. Okay. I had another patient say, I stopped running to the ER because I was able to figure out a pattern of my migraines. Yes. Precious. I I so get it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And then now a mom, caregiver, veteran herself, as her husband, her youngest daughter in a coma for a year, she has now introduced me to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation because caregivers are what they call hidden heroes. And they are creating an initiative where caregivers and providers in the VA talk. That's a success. They have oh, seen man, my that dashboard. that is a monster success. Right. Okay, so that's a system success. Right, right. Wow. So that's the two parts. My yeah, successes yeah. are all for the patients. And that motivates me to keep pushing it into. Yeah. So this is where that army behind me, yeah. I want us to become this force as we move yeah. up the healthcare chain. Okay. So people are, there's people who are, are dealing with 
different flavor challenges, yep. but it sounds somewhat similar. They Something happened to them, something happened to a family member, something happened to a loved one. They, with great difficulty, they made it through the acute phase. Yeah. And now they're, they have energy to give back. So, which sounds like what you're doing. So what do you think, if you were going to give people, those people, like two lessons that you've learned that you wish you had known like six months ago? Because <laughs> I, I have a feeling the the, anyway, what might some of those be? So the first lesson is as a caregiver, right? There's a lot of times you want to quit. And don't quit, pause. Pause and regroup for yourself. Because honestly, you really are the lifeline for that person who needs you. But you yourself have to take care of yourself. Yeah, self-care, man. Isn't that a monster? It is. Oh, my God. I'm with you 100%. I think now in this COVID world, with all these healthcare workers, whether they're licensed or not licensed, professional or not professional, yep. they got to be taking care of themselves because we need them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's okay. the biggie. Pause. So pause. Right? I like that. Pause. That's a good one. Pause. Because you can't leave. You can't quit, but you got to, you do yeah. need a break. And so that's very important. Okay. The second lesson is to trust yourself. I knew they were not, yeah. they were so siloed in their approach yeah. and they weren't looking at the big picture. Yeah. And that again, to our very beginning of our conversation was what's the difference of an EMR? An EMR is ah, 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 three right. months, six months, nine months. Right, right. This is a timeline. Yes. Trust yourself. Something isn't right. Yeah. Right. Pause and trust. I like that. I like that a lot. What should I have asked you that I haven't? Let's see. What should you have asked me? I don't know. You did a pretty darn good job. Go to the website. Send me a message. We actually have some conversations going on with the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which Mm -hmm. is exciting because they're looking to go into, there's a very strong correlation with traumatic brain injury and people with TBI developing Parkinson's, same with Alzheimer's. And what's really interesting is that we have a ton of stroke people that are now finding our website and starting to use it. So don't be afraid to ask me to build out a platform specific to an indication because that's what I do. (laughs) Pretty easy. But I want it to be robust enough to like if it's ms right Mm -hmm. to apply to everything so i don't really have anything else to share just go to the website spread the word thanks yeah all right this is great oh good thank you so much listen Um, i appreciate it so much Research often feels like taking snapshots in a rearview mirror when people's lives are more like movies on a windshield, continually moving forward. The methodologies of research prefer the single moment, the back-looking approach. When I participated in merit review for PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, 
I felt frustrated that rehabilitation studies seldom gained approval. Merit Review is the review and scoring of comparative effectiveness research funding requests. Since individuals get better, rehab, differently, the comparison of approach A versus approach B can be challenging to design. Rehab is itself a persistent experiment of learning about and reinforcing new abilities. That experimentation includes learning what works and when it doesn't, trying something else. Lynn Becker's dashboard and trigger approach gives me hope. I need to explore that dashboard and learn more about it. Talking with Lynn reminds me that clinicians and researchers sometimes label people as patients and caregivers, forgetting that we come to the interim role of patients and caregivers as fully formed experts in whatever we're expert at. Expert statisticians, expert carpenters, expert bus drivers, expert homemakers. Imagine if we had screening tools to quickly learn about patient and caregiver expertise and then used algorithms to design care plans to maximize that expertise. Lastly, I hope we as a nation can soon shift our focus from the circus of Washington and national politics to the struggle of everyday survival in this frightening, hungry pandemic. We have so much work to do for each other. Be safe and relatively sane. Onward. Thanks to Kayla Nelson, web and social media coach, and Joey Van Leeuwen, musician and arranger. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.